This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas, I'm the Echo's Everton FC correspondent alongside me. We've got club statistician, regular contributor, Gav Buckland. Happy New Year to everyone, this is our first podcast of the New Year of 2024. Thank you for joining us. Gav, did you have a good New Year? I did, Joe, we had it, it was uh, at my age, it was a quiet one, you know, uh, took it easy, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice New Year, at least the, at least the weather, I was going to say the weather on New Year's Eve was awful, wasn't it? New Year's Day was nice, nice walk, <laughs> nice walk over the water yesterday, so it was uh, it was good. Yeah, we'll start We'll start general, I think, for today, rather yeah. than rather than look back at first at some of those games over the festive period, I'll just go with you with, Everton ended December poorly, results-wise, yeah. and poorly performance-wise when you look at Wolves, I think... They're mitigating circumstances with Spurs and with Man City. And actually, I think for a get, for three halves of those four, they actually played very well. Wolves said in the post-match stuff, I think probably a game too far for, for a squad that we know is thin. But one of the things I'm quite interested to, to hear your view on, and, and for Everton fans just in general, is just whether or not the way December ended has, has changed anything from your perspective. Obviously, we had such a... A big yeah. start to December, four wins, four clean sheets, had a euphoria of getting out of the relegation zone, essentially wiping out that 10-point deduction. Um, everything looked positive. I'm not going to say things look negative now, but obviously things have changed a little bit. Where's your head at on Everton going into the new year now? We've got an hour. Uh, well, yeah. Yes, we do. Um, yeah, we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's the recency effect, isn't it? You always look at the last few results. Mm. Um, and I, th- I think it's people are looking at things differently. What, a fortnight ago, we were, what, four, five, six points ahead of the drop zone, and now, what, a point ahead, and mm-hmm. Luton have got a game in hand, and they're, they're invariably, they're just, they're below us. Uh, and I think, as a consequence, yeah, probably not as positive as a couple of weeks ago, but at the same time, you've got to look at things over a long mm. period of time, Joe, and, and, and I said before, I think last time's in here, if you, they said 12 points from December, from seven games, which a couple of them are really tricky, couple of them against our rivals would you take 12 points from seven games I would have said yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely and I think most Everton fans would wouldn't they yeah. uh, you're just hoping that maybe that you know that the Fulham defeat and, and the manner of it in the in the league cup hasn't sort of had a psychological effect on, on the players and, and, and the management um, but overall are we in a better place at the end of December compared to the start? I would say mm. we probably yeah. are. And I think also probably important to important context for any of the discussions that, that, that follow, um, particularly this month with the transfer window open and everything else. Everton clearly finished 2023 in a much stronger position than they started. It's certainly on the pitch. And I think that's a backdrop that remains relevant and something that we should all have you know, close to the top of our minds when we're discussing where Everton are right now, isn't it? Yeah, I will said that in his interview. Mm. I think he said not only just compared to last year, but the, the previous year as well. I, I don't think, unlike previous January, <laughs> the manager is going to be <coughs> giving his P forty five. Is he really? Um, yeah, and I, I think we are we are stronger in that. I think there's a he's had a bit of stick for this on some reason. Tabo said we've got a better balanced squad than mm. what we we've had previously. I, I still I think that's right. Um, I think that I think that's a fair comment. Uh, I think the stability around the management, as I've said, and around the coaching staff, um, and I think that's that's cause for positivity. I think probably, and we'll go on to talk about this. Our main issue is not the players we've got; it's the players mm. we haven't got, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. you know, the players that you know we, we are short. 
yeah on 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 you know, around the pitch, I think. And that's that's the main issue yeah. to address, isn't it, really? I think it became abundantly clear that at Molyneux yeah. the other day when they just looked knackered. They, yeah. You know, they they just looked exhausted. And I think, you know, I think, I think we can say this because we, we were giving him plenty of praise when it's been due. I think, I think Deitch got his tactics wrong. Um, I thought it was a bit of a strange decision to play. I speak to James Tarkovsky after the game and he was talking about this in terms of a game plan. So it was clearly a game plan to try and push up high, be aggressive, um, you know, press them further up the pitch. And it felt like a strange thing to do with a group of players that one wasn't his first choice outfit and two a group of players, which is also, if you want to be that aggressive, really you need a side that, you know, is a fully charged battery. It's not one that, you know, a core group of seven or eight players there that are playing their eighth for the eighth time in, in 30 odd days. And I think it just, it became abundantly clear that didn't work and the ball over the top was just too easy for, for, for Wolves to use they got in behind very often and they were just quicker second, quicker to everything there's first balls or second balls they were the better side they deserve to win yeah I'm not sure whether the five man defensive uh, back line and just two central midfielders is, no. is conducive to the pressing game is it really <laughs> Um, and, and I get that. We, we play five at the back against Burnley in that way because you had McNeil playing left back, yeah. didn't we? Uh, at, at Burnley, we had we had three in the you know Garner, Decore, and an honor all, all players in Burnley. Um, but on on Saturday we only we only had two, and you mm-hmm. could tell the difference straight away. Also, as well, that Wolves are a much better team than, of than Burnley, and, and will stretch you. But um, perhaps he was just influenced, maybe a little bit, perhaps from the um, the results of Burnley yeah. and and the lineup there, even though it was. Uh, slightly different. Yeah, I think he got his lineup wrong, and I'm still mystified that at a time when we are looking at you know the the fatigue of players, uh, slightly missed. And I think he spoke about that afterwards. Why he waited till what sixty odd minutes? We made yeah, it was a strange one as well. Bearing yeah. in mind that it felt Evan was still in the game at half time, but it felt like it was obvious that they were losing the battles, and yeah, they they lost the tactical battle in, in that first half, and. You know, perhaps bringing off Michael Keane for Andre Gomez. Yeah. I know things sound great in hindsight, and you know we're all master tacticians when it when it comes to assessing it after match of the day and things like that. But I feel like a relatively obvious thing to try and do, and obviously he didn't do it. And you know, if he wanted to wait 10, 15 minutes to see how the second half panned out, well, the game was gone by the hour mark. Yeah, and it was obvious to change at half time, wasn't it? Really. And I just thought it was it was strange because we were just short in midfield, weren't we? And, and I felt sorry for. I know he's had the, he's had a bit of stick himself, hasn't he? But Calvert Lewin, mm. when you see that lineup and you see a very it is a defensive back line, isn't it? There are no wing backs. You're playing two full backs, aren't yeah. you? Uh, you know, uh, out wide at the back. Um, at a time when he's been starved of service, we made it even worse. Yeah, and I I may well be in the minority here, but. I actually thought Dominic Calvert-Lewin had a good game. Uh, yeah. And that might sound like a strange thing to do in a game that, you know, and lost 3-0 and really it could have been 5 with Jordan Pickford made a couple of brilliant saves, saved by the off flag, offside flag twice as well. Uh, but I actually thought Calvert-Lewin, bear in mind he had so few people around him, there were a couple of moments where he did really well at just holding the ball up top. Obviously, the best moment, most obvious moment was when for Dwight McNeil hit the bar. Mm. And you just see the ball come into him, holds off the defender, lays it off, just perfect. That's what you want from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, there wasn't enough of getting players around him. And when he was so isolated, despite being so isolated, just watching him off the ball, I thought he, he occupied their centre-backs reasonably well. The battle was lost in midfield more than anything else. 
well, they actually only had two players in the middle, didn't we? And, um, and ideally, they had, had Mateus Cunha. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I wrote a year ago, and, and Everton think, were looking at, and he just absolutely played Everton off the park. Yeah, and he had the slow start in it, Wolves. Yeah, um, yeah. I think going back to Carvalho, and I had an interesting conversation about one o'clock on New Year's Day morning about oh, Carvalho, no. which is which is about as cohesive as our play on uh, on Saturday, I think. No, and and we were talking about this, um, and, and we spoke about this, I think, uh, you know, a couple of pods ago. Is of a striker, you want goals, don't mm. you? You know, I don't think it's enough to ask to get a striker and say, right, okay, this is what we want you to do today is just run around a bit, occupy defenders, yeah. and you know, we will, you know, go to Corey pushed in behind you and you know, we could take advantage of that. At some point you need to, you know, uh, score goals. And if you're not scoring goals as a striker, your confidence is going to suffer, isn't yeah. it? You can't be expected to, you know, say oh, games a season just to run around a bit up top. You know, when when you, you would like like to score goals because at some point it's going to catch up with you, isn't it, confidence-wise? Yeah. And if you're confident and you're scoring goals, you're more prepared to run the channels, you just feel better about about about, um, about your role. If if you're not getting any service and you say you've got a deep blind defense and you've got you haven't got enough midfielders who are supporting you, you know, you're gonna suffer, I think. You you're not gonna get any service. And you, you, therefore, you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Carver Lewin is yeah. at the moment. To be fair, also as well, the fact that I don't think he's like a few of the players. I don't think he's 100 fit. Um, and a player who I think you know his goal scoring record has been patchy for Everton, to say the least, is is struggling. Mm. And um, I think not some of it's down to him. I think he had an opportunity on, on Saturday, but I think... He did, but it, a lot's been made about that, but it was yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, I mean, obviously, But he I didn't think, know that at the time. He didn't yeah, know that yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, and okay. I think the the way in which he failed to round Jose Sarr spoke yeah. of... When we saw Calvert-Lewin, perhaps, uh, his best this season and the best we'd seen him in a long time, you know, you think about Aston Villa uh, and Brentford. He was taking on... He wasn't round, trying to round the goalkeeper. You know, he was latching onto yeah. that through ball and he was just putting it past him. But that's you confidence know. though, isn't and it? That's, that, what that, gonna, that's, confidence. that's what I'm going to say. In this, obviously you saw him try to round it. He didn't quite yeah. get it right. So I think from that incident, you know, I don't think you can criticize him too much because he didn't cost anything because I wouldn't have yeah. if it had gone in. But I do think it was a talent incident in terms of his confidence. Yeah, because yeah. a confident Calvary, and as we've seen earlier in the season, tries to slot that pass as he saw. Instead, he tries to be a little bit clever, tries to increase his chances by beating as they saw. Yeah. Doesn't do it. We're talking about and also, as well, like at Chelsea, I think for the Decore goal, it was a one on one against mm. Chelsea, wasn't it? And the ball came out for Decore. Yeah, and, and I think um, yeah, he's suffering conf- confidence issues, I think, at the moment. It's probably a little bit of fitness. So it's probably two or three things there going on with him. And I felt the, the lineup on, you know, a li- sorry, a lineup that the way we played that doesn't really support him to the, the best of his strengths. Was made even worse because of our setup on yeah. on Saturday. Ideally, what you'd want with Carvalho is a little bit like Carlo, the first half of Carlo season, where you got people out wide, just we get to the byline, whipping balls in, you know. And we've not done that enough. And the way we set up on on Saturday made that virtually impossible. I think. Yeah, we'll move on from Wolves a little bit now, and just think. Obviously, we're in January. Transfer windows open now. Everton set out their stall pretty early doors. Kevin Farwell writing before the Man City game about not really expecting to a low-key month. But I think it's still going to be a very busy month, even if it's a low-key one. Because there's a lot to be discussed on and off the pitch, financial side as well of things. Everton don't have a huge amount of money. And 
regardless as to whether the takeover gets agreed or not, that isn't going to change anything. If if if, if everybody approves it tomorrow and seven 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 partners take over, taking over by the end of the week, they're not going to come in and splash a lot of cash because no. that's not what they do. They don't come in and give their new their clubs, and we've seen their, you know what they've done at previous because they don't give them a war chest. So it's going to be another transfer window on the budget and probably very similar as I've written a few times, very similar to what we've seen previously. Now I think we can all understand that we can understand the reasons why and you know seeing Everton operate with financial responsibility is a good thing. As frustrating as it might be, I think we all agree that we all want to see the club act and maturely with the finances. And also I think that Kevin Fowler probably deserves a degree of praise. The club deserves a degree of praise for the communication at the yeah. beginning of that because that's something that was severely lacking last yeah. year. And you know, we know where last January ended. Where I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Gav is, do you think that having gone through those last few games of, of, of this month, we've seen how big a part Abdullah Decore is to making this team function as an attacking unit. Now, they still created a lot of chances against Spurs without him. They still scored one against City and came very close to scoring a second against City yeah. without him. But I think that Wolves, it was very talented for all the reasons about the isolated Dominic Calvert-Lewin that um, you know, that, that we've just discussed. Do you think that the last few weeks of December might have created a bit of additional urgency to maybe do something in January if an opportunity arises in, in midfield? Because and the reason I, I, I ask that is obviously we have seen, and this is a source of confidence within Everton, that with that group of players, however small it is, Deitch can clearly turn them into a mid-table side because yeah. you add the points that they've lost on, they are a yeah. mid-table side. But obviously, you can't guarantee that you're going to go a season without injuries. We've seen what's happened in previous years. Do you think that it would be naive or maybe even complacent to not try and find a plan B for Decore's loss should it happen again in January? Because you know, it, it's clear that he is one of the most important cogs in that machine. In terms of getting Everton to move forward, they yeah. need him. Um, you know, they need a plan B, don't they? Is it, I've got two questions there, isn't it? I think the first, answer the second one first is what do we do in the short term about Takore? And this goes back to what I, I think I said last time is we've gone... The problem we've had, but and, and, and I'd be critical of Dice here, is I like to think that of a, of a line-up 10 outfielders, you have six defensive players and four attacking uh-huh. players. And when we've got Takore on the pitch with McNeil and Harrison and DCL, you've got four, I would mm-hmm. say, attacking players. No, Takore nominally is a midfielder, but he's effectively playing as a number 10, isn't he? In that, well, in that space at the moment, we've got four attacking players. Since his injury, we've not replaced him with another attacking player. No. We've replaced him with effectively, who's played behind there, Garner's played there, Gomez has played there against... Yeah, Gomez did well against Spurs, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, he, yeah. and he might be a solution. Yeah. Against City, played him against City, didn't he, as a number 10. Um, but you, you still effectively got then four defenders and three deep line midfielders, I call it. So you're losing an attacking player. And I think to replace the core, you've got to, and, and the worrying thing is you've got to play, you've, you've got to play Dan Juma probably mm-hmm. would be the natural, natural choice. Or maybe even put Jack Harrison there as number 10, my favourite thing. Yeah. Even even play Young out wide, wide right, which is what we ended up doing against Newcastle, didn't we? Yeah, obviously that uh, option hasn't been there. Yeah, yeah. but well, you know so, what I mean yeah. going forward if, if available. So I think the, the, the problem with that Decore is we've not replaced him, have we? We've no. just put an extra body in midfield and, and we've looked we've looked a bit light as a consequence. Slightly worries within that, that we've got three attacking players in last season, 
you know, in the close season, Dan Juma, Beto, Chimiti, who really not them anywhere near starting at the moment, are they? And, no. and only really Beto has been getting some serious time as, as a sub. That's probably an issue. But we've got to replace this. We're on the second point. Got... Harrison as well, remember? Yeah, yeah, and Harrison. But those three yeah. players were all coming during yeah. the summer, didn't he? Um, we've got to get an attacking player to replace the core, not a central central midfielder. That's the, the second and do thing. You, and do you think that the op- are you confident that the options exist within the squad? And maybe you know it's just that Dice hasn't felt comfortable using, given the nature of the opposition, yeah, yeah, some very strong sides. Yeah. Or, or do you think that that is probably an area that? I think the way I've described it is it's going to be an opportunistic rather than a proactive window forever. And if something comes up that they like the look of, they've done due diligence on the market, they have players that they like. Kevin Farwell talks about trying to operate two or three transfer winners in advance. The reality about all of this season for Everton is it's about getting in a stronger place for the summer when they can really have a summer transition and start to properly shape that squad and try and you know try and make sure they're safe as early as possible so they yeah. fell, get a head start on that. Look at the free market. You know, do you think that from what we've seen, the answers do live in the squad? Dice doesn't use them, or do you think they really just need to just be pro? Actually, go. You know what? Proactive, even if it's only a little money, yeah. we just need to. It's almost. Is it more of a risk to leave that area unchanged and not seek a solution than it is to think maybe Decorey will stay fit for the rest of the season or the answer live in the squad? I think the biggest risk is what we've got at the moment. We're not playing another attacking player in that yeah. position. From what we've got at the moment, and therefore, so I take it from that you'd say that if Dyche isn't comfortable, use Dyche has already answered the question to a certain yeah. extent because he hasn't gone down that route. So therefore, find another solution for yeah, him. yeah. And there's another, there's a couple of other things at the periphery there is the fact that Dan Jim is also being linked, hasn't he, about moving away yeah. during January. Um, to be fair to Thal, while he did say, I think in his interview that you know they were saying it'll be acquired January, maybe from bringing people in. There's probably worked on it elsewhere. He did say, didn't we? But if opportunities arise, yeah. And I think if something comes up, the, the, the you know around sort of put more people, you know, getting somebody else who can play around the Corey's area, I think that's maybe something that we should look at. There's also, but in midfield, we've also got issues over, you know, there's kind of gaze away for. Yep. I bet isn't he? I know like you know we haven't got a lot well, of we don't really know time. the extent of his injury yet yeah, either. Yeah, like, yeah. I've been quite tight lipped on that. Right, I asked okay. him after Spurs and you know obviously came off in that game and you know their first their first thought was it might be quite a, yeah. their first thought was they weren't confident with it. You know, they were they were worried by it. We haven't heard much more from them since then, but you know, obviously we will probably we will find the answer as to how serious it is as to whether or not he goes off to the Africa Cup of Nations. So. Either way it's gonna be absent, isn't yeah. he? Um, and that's an issue. Can we rely on Gomez to be 100% fit? I'm not so sure. So those are two areas I think definitely we need looking at um, if we did have opportunities. Mm. I think I know people have said, oh, we're a bit short at the back, but we've, we've got enough bodies, haven't we, a central so, defence. Yeah. So we, we can sort of get away with covering uh, a full-back, I think. Um, but I think probably those would be the two areas Mm-hmm. I'd like to look at really the centimetres and, and getting somebody in. I mean, Takore will be back, but I just think it's an area that we need looking at anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really that creativity around around, uh, around the striker. Uh, and then we just go with it from there. And But there's lots of other things there. Joe, isn't there? You know, the ownership issue could play in 
how like what happens if the seven seven deal doesn't go through? Mm-hmm. What what we do mm-hmm. then? So there's so, so much we don't know how this deal, like say the the latest set of accounts and all that comes into it. So there's there's a lot of other issues off the pitch that are not that will that not necessarily directly mm-hmm. financial, but will imp- possibly impact us. And this in is January. this is kind of what I'm referring to when I say it's going to be a busy month. Yeah, like it might be low key in the transfer market, and and then obviously. If I will use the word opportunistic, I, I think where Everton might be opportunistic or where they hope to be opportunistic is more looking at young players. You know, if 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 players that um, have been on their radar for a while that might not quite be first team ready yet, but are getting senior football elsewhere and they think they can steal a march on them now, type of players that you know, they hope can grow into the first team and grow with the first team. Those are the type of deals I hope they do. You know, I mentioned a few in, in my stories, like Sam Tickle at Wigan. Yeah. And the, you know, playing week in week out in um in league one for Wigan and it just got into the England under 21s obviously we know goalkeeping area is a department where they, they need to strengthen those type of players where you know you could bring them into the squad and hopefully help nurture them for get them on the cheap get them into the first team their value soars and that's kind of what Fowler's looking yeah, to do yeah. um yeah no I, I agree with that I mean but um but sorry but yeah. where I say you know it's going to be a busy month is going to be quite a dramatic month because really we're going to find out the the answer on 777 partners whether or not they get approval from the premier league and where that leaves the club either way is mm. is a very interesting one going forward yeah. um there's also the appeal and i've got a few people asking us for the latest on the appeal the answer at the minute everyone's been very tight-lipped about that but we know it's going to get sorted out this season and surely the sooner it gets sorted out the better for everybody one thing that's important to bear in mind in relation to the appeal is that something that I'm writing about today is the period of scrutiny for the next set of finances is now underway. So Everton's fine. Everton, just like all Premier League clubs had to submit their accounts for the year and in the financial year and then in the summer of 2023. So this is the summer of, this is the, this is the 12 months. This includes the Lampard summer of spending yeah. and then last January transfer window in that as well. So, Everton had to submit their documents and that for the end of end, end of the year, and they will find out whether the Premier League has got any concerns over those figures within the next fortnight, as will all the other clubs. So we could end up in this quite... First of all, we know Everton are in this strange process at the moment where they have an appeal process ongoing over the most recent... over the last set of accounts that they were punished, and now they've got the next ones also being assessed. I mean, if the Premier League have any problems with that, they could end up having to deal with two cases adjacent to each other and God knows where that leaves everyone. Everton are relatively confident they look at their transfer spending and say that's indicative of more financial uh, maturity. Premier League in their case against to the Independent Commission for the 10-point deduction obviously 2023 didn't factor into that but within that document they they within that argument they were suggesting that they had a dim view of 2023 spending that summer when the likes of Idrissa Gay, Dwight McNeil, James Garner, Amadou Anana all came in so it is going to be a little bit of an interesting one, one, one that as well, isn't it? And and this is all going on in the backdrop. And the other thing is, all the other Premier League clubs are also in the same boat for 2023. So the idea is that if profit and sustainability concerns arise and breaches are, are yeah. found to happen, they can be dealt with in this season. So could end up with, could in theory end up with with other point teams also getting yeah, point deductions this yeah, season and, and things like that. It could, could be chaos. You would think then Premier League Towers, there's there's a group of people in the room that's just called Ever- <laughs> the Everton team, isn't it? You know, looking at two sets of accounts, <laughs> appeals, you know, takeovers, all this type of stuff. Yeah, I, I think that we are we are we are going to be busy off the pitch with regard to that. And that and I think what we're saying is here, 
is that may impact our capacity to spend mm. uh, in some respects. Uh, you know, certainly the ownership issue, um, because what the worst case scenario is, we, we have to sell somebody big. Yeah, I think that's probably, probably. I don't think it will necessarily impact how Everton spend their money. Yeah. It might impact if things were to go badly. The bigger, inc- I don't think it's going to impact how Everton spend their money because I don't think they've got a lot of spend. I whatever yeah. happens, it might dictate how they handle the money that they've already any money coming into the club. Absolutely. So for instance, the Mason Holgate loan is yeah. one that people talk about at the moment. Not getting games. He's not getting games at, um, at Southampton. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's a really difficult one for everyone, this. Mason Holgate wants to play football. The reason he was willing to drop down to the championship was because he wanted minutes more than anything else. And he's gone to Southampton. And he's not got in the side. Yeah that's problematic for him because he wants to play games. Unfortunately for him, he's in a situation where the last time he played, he played against uh, West Brom in the beginning of November, got man the match. Yeah. You know, boss Russell Martin was, was, was talking about how well he played in that game, but he he was taken straight back out because the lad he replaced who was suspended came straight back in. Southampton are committed to paying a big part of Mason Holgate. He's on good wages at Everton. Yeah. They're committed to that to the end of the season. So this is Everton looking at it and going, well, yeah, we want those wages, really. We want, you know, there's a financial commitment they want Southampton to honour. Southampton thinking, well, when he's not playing, ideally we wouldn't be paying for his wages. Players there thinking, I want to be playing football. It's difficult to see how that gets resolved. Probably the most likely scenario would be if a third club was to come forward and say, you know, we want him, we want to play him, and we'll contribute to his wages, and you'll end up in a situation where perhaps they pay some of the wages and Southampton top up whatever's left over so Everton don't lose out financially. Yeah. Uh, it's a difficult one for Everton because they've probably got to... What Everton have to do is balance out what's more important to them. Is it getting the contribution to the wages that they've already got signed in from Southampton or do they look at it and go, well, he's a player that we might want to sell in in, in, in the summer. Um, if he's going to sit on the bench at Southampton for the next three months, his four months, then his, his value obviously depreciates that. they better off with him going now somewhere else. They get fewer wages, but game yeah. time might increase his, 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 his fee if they would sell him in the summer. We'd have to sell him in the summer anyway, because it's 25 is deals up to his at Hallgate. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah. So, so I mean, he's still I, be a player. Yeah. He's one of a number of players, players who ends the last 12 months. months yeah, so and that's, look. again, an interesting battle because you've got players like Dominic Calvert-Lewin who also ends this yeah. for 12 months. And those are conversations that the club probably want to be having now. But this... So, so that's the thing is there's there's lots of lots of movements. And, and, and Talbot was like, and you'd always look at this, like you're always looking at two or three transfer windows ahead. So some of our... In, you, you mentioned there some some young lads we can bring in. They've not been brought in for the no. January transfer window to do a job at the end of the season. No. Replenishing your squad is an ongoing basis, isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, and, and that's done for looking down the line for two or three years. So there may be people that come in in January, possibly, who may not be there. You know, may not be there mm. knocking on the door the first team between now and the end of the season. And that's just good practice, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm not got a problem with that. But I do think the ownership thing is is a big thing for us to get that resolved as quickly as possible. And, you know, dare I say the appeal. You would you would hope, you would hope regarding the accounts that are due that were due at the end of uh, end of December that we've already had conversations with the Premier League yeah, about so, them. Right. You know, that nothing comes you know, and, and what, like what happened last time, nothing comes to the club in the first few weeks in January. Yeah. That's a surprise for them. Yeah, I think the difficulty from from an Evan perspective on that front is that 
from their perspective, they thought they were transparent previously and were, and also thought they were operating within the yeah. limits. And then obviously, you know, we know what happened next. We? Well, <laughs> so, well, let's say at the time, I hope that we've learned lessons from that. Yeah. And I hope the Premier League have learned lessons from that as well. Yeah. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Look, you know, looking at, you know, as we all know, we've trimmed our wage bill. Um, we sold Anthony Gordon, I think, in that that that, yeah. um, that year. You would hope that should have the Moist Keen money. Yeah, as well, yeah. So. That, it's a different year to this year before. Albert, we did make uh, a few acquisitions. Um, you would hope that we um, are with. You know, and my my sort of gut feel is that we'll be in mm. because we lose we lose one 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 of the big year before COVID as well. So um, you, you would hope that we would be okay. We lose eighteen nineteen. Yeah, which was a big loss. Fingers crossed. One of the comments has just come in from from John Joseph Kerrigan saying, looks like we've made a big mistake letting Tom Cannon go. Obviously, he's been injured for most of the season so far, but scored two for Leicester yesterday. I mean, I've made my thoughts clear on Tom Cannon. In the summer, I like Tom Cannon a lot as a football player. I thought selling him was indicative of precisely where the club were at and where their finances were at at the time because... You know, no, I don't think any fan really wants to see a club let go their most promising young player. Uh, and it was clear that given the goals he scored at Preston last season, we know we could do a job in the top half of the championship. And it just, even now, when I look at the squad, like I can understand to a certain extent what Deitch is, is hoping to achieve. But you look at Calvert Lewin, Beto, and Chimiti, and they seem like three very similar players, three, you know, yeah. six foot three, six foot four you know, focal points leading the attack. And at a time now when we're talking about plan Bs, Tom Cannon's a different type of striker. And you can't help but think that if he was to get opportunities, that he may well take him. I, I, I didn't like the sale of, of Tom Cannon, but I think what we'll probably do is, you know, we'll get an idea as to, we'll get a, a more updated idea on where Evan's financial situation is over the coming weeks as we learn you know, what's happening with 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 the latest set of accounts and although this will this will go into this will go into the next set of of accounts to be assessed because yeah. it was done in, in in at the back end back end of august what we don't know now that we probably need to know before we can fully assess whether it was a good deal or not is well was that the was that the deal that meant that everton stayed within the financial parameters or not i, and, I, I and think i not, think canon is is you know, an example of we just need cash. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this. I know we've got it's not like a finance conference here, don't we? <laughs> this financial year, I think we're okay anyway. Mm. The problem with the club at the moment is a shortage cash of alone. cash. So. And as we all know, when we know that um, Triple Seven have given us money and stuff, or lent us money, not given us um, at the moment anyway, uh, I've lent us money. The, the main issue for the club, and I think this was last summer was cash yeah. and our deals were structured around not not paying cash out better was yeah. 12 months was it something like that before we pay anything Chimissi's on the trip well, the only the only yeah the only money they paid out up front in the summer was for Dan Juma's yeah money, yeah so. which is nominal fee isn't it really the problem for us in the summer as you said at the time is the club has no cash it's not really the financial constraints that are hurting yeah. us and that's still probably the case now so in that context Tom Cannon, I don't know what was the deal. It was it seven, eight million? Wasn't it? Rising yeah. two, I think. Yeah, so. Cannon 
Sims yeah. as well. Yeah, I think Sims in a different place. Sims to Cannon, a different obviously. place. Yeah. You know, I, I think yeah. that as, as, I thought, as delighted as everybody was to see him get that goal against Chelsea and get a chance at the back end of last season, I think it was an acceptance that he probably wasn't going to be a squad Premier League squad player for for Deitch's Everton. Um, and I think that was the case even for Lampard's Everton when he got brought back initially. It was just because they had so few few players this time last year, um, or so few options. Up top, I, you know, I, I I think the sale of Cannon is one of the clearest examples of 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 everything that has been done poorly at Everton yeah. over the years preceding the likes of, of Farewell and that. You know, this is is one of the negative consequences. I think that you end up selling a player who's clearly as talented as he is for you. You, do, you don't get the. This would have been the perfect season to see whether or not he could have made it in the Premier League or not. And given this record in the championship, they still probably would have had they chosen to sign at the end of this season, still probably would have got similar money for him. Yeah. But they obviously felt that they well, it, it seems to me they felt like they, they couldn't turn down the offer for him. And and that's indicative of, of all the problems that went before. But I, I was really sad to see Tom going out. And the indicative problem of having no cash. Going back, just winding the conversation back a little bit, you mentioned uh, Cannon and, and Sims. But when we were talking about plan B before, we mm. never spoke about Dobbin. Yeah. Do you think that he's had to be used enough by Daesh or should there be an opportunities to play him a bit more? It's difficult to know where they would play him. Obviously, we, we yeah. know that Daesh, you know, Harrison and, and Manila are clearly the favoured wide players and they've done a very good job in that role. I know there's been periods where they've gone a little bit quieter in terms of a goal contribution, but, you know, I think, and I think this is obviously important when you consider Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well, I think it's very much important to look at that Everton side under Daesh as you have to assess it Based on the sum of all its parts, rather than look at individuals, bit harder to do that when you look at when you take someone like Decorey out because you yeah. see the whole thing falls apart. But just because certain players aren't getting the goals or the assists, that doesn't mean that they're not being enabled by the other players around them that perhaps yeah. aren't getting the you know getting the the positive marks in in their goals and assist columns and things like that. So <coughs> with Dobbin, it's a really interesting one because you know he impressed over the summer. Um, and he was he was kept in with the squad. I'm sure that they could have explored a loan deal for him in the in the summer. I'm sure there would have been teams that would have wanted him. Did all right at Derby last season. Didn't set the world alight, mm. but 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 did okay. I'm just not really sure where you would use him that much. We know that Dyche doesn't like to make substitutions too much. Um, so it's you know it's it, it's difficult with Dobbin. I think they're kind of. Yeah, they're watching and monitoring. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, there'll be championship clubs, especially given the contribution that he's made this season so far, which has largely been you know minutes off the bench here and there. But he got that big goal um, against Chelsea, which was which was great for him and great for us. You know, we, we got to see that. Do I see him stepping forward and playing a more pivotal role in the second half of the season? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I think Dyche would prefer someone with a bit more experience. Um, It'd be interesting to see what they do if clubs came in for loan from alone this this sum this January. I don't know that I'd have used them that much more, to be perfectly honest. I think that McNeil and Harrison are pivotal to that Dyke stuff. The Dan Juma one's the interesting one because you know that is a, an experienced senior player. I mean, he scored goals in knockout stages of Champions League mm. and, and, and things like that. I where I think that Dyke has done so much right this season. Where a couple of areas where I think that there are probably still a few question marks over is his use of substitutions came up, obviously against Wolves because, like we've already said, it felt like there were some changes that he could have made earlier on in that game that yeah. might have 
led it down a different path. You know, if, if he'd have got a bit earlier and, yeah, we've spoken a lot about how he doesn't like to use substitutions very much, doesn't like to change things. Um, I wonder if there's a little bit of an element of that coming back to bite him at the back end of this month when the players are as tired as they have been because yeah, there have probably been opportunities in some of those games, you know, particularly when you look at the likes of, of, of Burnley, um, last stages of Newcastle, where you could bring players on for the last 20 minutes and perhaps just... You know, pull the lights of McNeil and Harris out the firing line a little bit earlier and things like that so that they're not quite right at the, the very limits of their tank mm. come the end of December. Yeah, I've gone back to Dobbin a bit. It's an interesting question is whether he's then, you know, would you want, want to move him on, perhaps, rather than loan? But I think that's for the, you know, that's for the summer. Probably but they've got such a small squad, squad That's it? the thing. But if, if you can use that to fund, you know, fund... Other other opportunities. <clears throat> I just I, I I agree totally with what you're saying. I, I don't think Dobbin's done himself any harm no. this this season. I read somewhere once that if you score a Premier League goal, then you, you, that it's worth five million quid. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Transfer fee if you score the goal in the, in, in the Premier League. If you're a forward player, and, and I sort of get that. If you've got you know that if you get your name on the score sheet, so you can you know got something about you. So just be interesting to see with Dobbin, but yeah. he's one that. You know, you can see the you know the improvement. I do, I do like him. I, I just felt that on like you that on certain occasions this season he could have been used. Yeah, I more. think so. It was interesting at Burnley. I think he came on as the second half, sub to me ahead of it was it Burnley or Forest? I can't remember ahead of ahead of Dan Juma, I think. I think what we probably yeah. learned from December is that excuse me is a Deitch whenever and a winning prefers to bring Dobbin on. Yeah. And when they're losing and chasing the game, he prefers to bring down Junior on. And that's probably an indication as to where he sees their work rates and their strengths in relation yeah, to that. Absolutely. But it's particularly Dan Junior's work rate. <laughs> I just think he's been underused. And as I say, going back to Dice's weakness, I do think the effect of playing like six defensive players and four four attacker mind and players moving to one of seven and three, mm. I think we've we've struggled as a as a consequence. Yeah, we've had a, a few other people get in touch on on the different platforms that are on at the moment. Eugene says Everton need to go for Willie Nonto from Leeds. He's also suggested Jesse Lingard. Well, Nonto was a player that Everton looked at and, and tried to sign in the summer. Couldn't quite get a deal over the line with Leeds. I think that's very unlikely for, for, for January, to, to be perfectly honest. One, you know, Leeds, Leeds are protected quite a lot on him. They seem, you know, he's, he's, he's a young talent. He's under contract for a long time. I think certainly for a couple of years. The wages that they pay him on aren't substantial. You know, ha- he's not a burden to their wage bill. They see him as a talent that can really help take the club forward. And given the way that they're trying to break into that championship promotion, well, they're in the championship promotion mm. race, but it's clear. I mean, Leicester are 10 points clear. Southampton are unbeaten in 18. Ipswich have had a great start to the season. Yeah. I find it very, given given the potential reward, the financial rewards of getting promoted from the championship to the Premier League, it's very difficult to see how Everton could construct a deal for Willie Nonto, whereby Leeds thought it was in, worth their while to lose a player who could be potentially useful for them. You know, trying to get out of that league this 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 season and get back into the Premier League, I think that would be be be, be a tough one. Jesse Lingard is an interesting. I was thinking a little bit about Jesse Lingard this morning because obviously he's a free agent, isn't he? And you know, it's clear that the biggest area that Everton have an issue with is that almost number 10 role, that lack of creativity. Obviously, he isn't going to do the defensive work that the Corey does, 
but he does bring a degree of ingenuity that probably doesn't exist within that Everton squad. We know he can score goals. He's played at very high level, played World Cups, Champions yeah. League again. Would 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 you be interested, Gav, in a conversation about? I mean, remember Jesse Lingard is a player that Everton looked yeah, at. I was going to say we looked at him before on the la- in that Lampard summer as yeah. well. You know, be- before he went to Forest, Everton did have conversations with him. Uh, obviously, nothing materialised. We know that he went to Nottingham Forest on on huge wages. Um, where would your thoughts lie, Justin Lingard? Um, it's a it's a to go, isn't it? In theory, it depends about other options that are available yeah. around the parish, doesn't it, Joe? But he, as you say, you mentioned before that the core space needs a little bit of replenishment, and he would definitely fill that that area of the pitch, as you say, and give us something possibly a little bit more. Um, in the absence of anything, any other options there, you'd certainly be worth looking at, wouldn't you? Yeah, it? I mean, he doesn't feel like a Deitch player at all. Um, I guess, for me, with Lingard, it probably comes down to what his demands are and wages are yeah. because, you know, and I think this is an interesting thing that we're seeing in football at the minute because obviously, you know, David De Gea has gone six months without a game as well mm. because he hasn't signed for anyone since he left Manchester United. And probably the most interesting thing as to whether or not Lingard... I'm sure Lingard will probably get a club this January. I wonder where his wage demands are because for me, being the lay person that I am on, you know, cost of living crisis and all that, and, you know, I look at it and I think, if, well, if I'm Jesse Lingard and I haven't played football for six months, you know, I need to try and salvage my career a little bit here. Sure, if I go anywhere and get game time and get away... if I, I know this wouldn't be the if ever offered me fifteen grand a week, well it's fifteen grand a week I'm not getting and then it's an opportunity to show myself, you know, my skills I'm not getting if I'm sat at home all this time. But yeah. obviously I don't think that foot professional footballers in this day and age and given the money that they've already earned necessarily think along those yeah. lines. There's probably a sliding scale, isn't there, where what matters most for Lingard and is it the game time or is it the money? And if it's the game time, then maybe his wage demands come down to a point where clubs like Everton might be more open to taking a bit of a chance. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. You don't know. I mean, no. somebody fits in that category is being Telly Alley, who <laughs> we've not spoken about. Yeah. And he fills that space. But um, Lingard, we don't know. But it's the type of player type of area that I think that's, we should be that's looking it. at. And that, and, that's and, what I would say. And I think that, and where I, where I think it's just really interesting is I think that whatever and have learned over the last few weeks in the absence of Decore and some of the other players that have been out injured is with that 10-point deduction, there probably can't be any complacency going into the second half of the season. Yeah. You know, we hopefully learned the lesson from last year where Everton didn't sign a backup for Dominic Calvert-Lewin and we saw the problems that that caused last season. Obviously, they're better this year and the signs are promising. You, you know, he's you know he's, he's done all right when he's come in. Yeah. There's still a long way to go with him. Um, but you don't want to be turning around in March and, and say you've lost a player of the significance of, of Abdullah Decore. There isn't a plan B, and you go, oh, we're struggling to score goals all of a sudden, and you can't say you didn't have a warning. You know that's what you want to avoid. I mean, I think Luton is trying hard, aren't they? At the minute, yeah. um, I wonder if it's the type of thing that might be dictated by what other clubs do in the transfer window themselves, and they have an opportunity to kind of watch that first, because I. All the evidence that we've seen so far suggests that this evidence is more than capable of being a mid-table side. Now. But we also know it has a very thin and threadbare squad, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? So you have Burnley and you have Luton who play each other in the next set of fixtures. 
and that's quite interesting because obviously the next set of Premier League fixtures, Aston Villa, come to Goodison Park. You know, if Everton were to not win that, then either if Luton were to beat Burnley, they'd leapfrog them. If Burnley were to win, they'd move within two points, three points maybe of them. So that could be an interesting little landmark in the middle of the January that might yeah. change the thought process a little bit as well. My fear with, with Burnley isn't where they are at the minute because yeah, they're, they're really, really struggling. They're playing a lot of nice football. If Burnley were to go out and sign a, spend 20 million on a striker so that could all of a sudden finish off some of these lovely moves, I start to get a little bit more nervous at that point. I don't know about you. Yeah, it all depends as well about when the outcome of the appeal as well, doesn't it? Yeah. About what other clubs do. It's yeah, of course it does. Yeah, you know, yeah. If, if, if Everton is still that back down to 10 points, they may say, well, we've got a chance here. Yeah. They, you know, they might, what, it's six points, so we need to catch up a little bit and spend a little bit more. So, but uh, also changing from an Everton perspective, because yeah, yeah, if, you get, if they get four points back and all of a sudden they're five points clear of relegation, then you can... Well, you know. exactly, and that's why it's all neat. You, you said before it, that needs to be dissolved as, as, as quickly possible, as possible yeah. because... The outcome of that could determine what people want to do mm. in the January transfer window, which you, you said a while back, didn't you? So I, I don't really know. Also, know about going back to Lingard is, is it's an area of pitch that we need looking at because we've got no goals and 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 as I say, playing three deep line midfielders with four defenders, the, the our creativity has uh, declined a little bit. I would yeah, say, it's and probably brings us nicely on into to the final topic for, for today, which is Palace, which is coming up on yeah. Thursday. Do you think the Palace, obviously, you know, Dice will want to win. FA Cup means a lot to him. I spoke to James Tarkovsky. He said they want to win. He said they want more games, not less in January, because they want to, they've got the taste of winning now and they want to get it back. Obviously, if they beat Palace, that's one of them. They also get a game at the end of January in the, the fourth round of, of, of the FA Cup. Do you go all out to win against Palace? Or do you go slightly more experimental and go, this is the last chance, not necessarily a free hit because the FA Cup is so important, but do you treat Palace as an opportunity, as the last opportunity to see if you can find a plan B without Decore that means you don't have to go into transfer yeah. market? Like, Do you go, you know what, we'll start Dan Juma on the wing and we'll put Harrison in the middle like we did against Newcastle? Or do you go, we'll start, you know, we'll start Dan Juma off Calvert-Lewin? Or we'll try, you know, if that's the youngest fit, do we push him in or something like that? Do you, would you would you look at this as an opportunity just to experiment and just see if the answer potentially lies within the squad? He's had enough opportunities to do that, hasn't he? Yeah. And it hasn't really. And it'd be a bit too late and, and to do it now. And I wouldn't think a, a third-round <laughs> FA Cup tie is, is the place to do that. Perhaps if we'd have been in the League Cup semi-finals, yeah. we might have done that. Okay, I see. But I think um, in terms of cup competitions but this is that the only one we've got left that I would certainly look to be playing our strongest most effective mm. team what that is I don't know but I, I definitely for me I definitely look about getting Dan Gima on on the pitch either way because I just don't think we're offering enough at the moment going forward feels like a decision needs to be made on Dan Gima yeah, absolutely, yeah. and this is the last chance to do it at the beginning of January where you can then plan for everything obviously you know he's Villarreal's player apparently they're concerned over lack of miss asked Deitch about this a week or two ago he said he, no one had told him anything about concerns over Dan Gima's minutes um, yeah. you know Cynics would say that Deitch uh, already made the decision well, by not playing him is, is his although has then played him a little bit more recently hasn't yeah, he yeah. it'd be interesting to see with Palace's 
perspective as well, by the way, here, Joe, because they don't play for two and a half weeks, you know, because we've got this this funny period, haven't we, of a couple of weeks where only half the teams play. They don't play until, I think, the 21st, 22nd mm. of January. So, they right, have, okay. so we play 10 days later, they play a week after that. Yep. So, you know, if there's no replay, they've got they've got two and a half weeks out of the game. So I would imagine Palace will have a, you know, fa- fa- fairly strong team out. If, if yeah, it's interesting again sense. because, you know, so much of this conversation's been on that number 10 creative role and Evan don't have it. And they have yeah. arguably one of the best in the league in, in, in Eberechi Eze, who is just a phenomenal player. I, know now, I mean, I know well. that, like... Yeah. Evan obviously got the win at Selhurst Park, but he was brilliant in that game. And, and he, Eze, is the only player that I've seen this season cause real problems for Jared Bramfrey's. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, Evan had been very effective at making opposition play out wide and then get the ball into the box and the edge of the box. Whereas Eze's a direct threat from the middle, and obviously Bradford gave away one penalty and nearly gave away another penalty in that game. Yeah. That'd be an interesting matchup to watch again between you know, two of England's hottest prospects. Be interesting to see what lineup. In, never mind the lineup, the the, the tactics mm. and set up that dice as whether he's learned from the Wolves game and learned from the Palace game with with that regard in terms of their attack and threat. Because Elise is playing at the moment as well, isn't he? Another and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, and um, he'll pose a difference different to that as well so yeah it'll be who's on the pitch and how they line up will be fascinating mm. on on Thursday I think in, in terms of in terms of the game yeah well we'll have all the coverage from there myself and Chris Bees who are going down to Sellers Park on on Thursday night so we'll have everything from there for you keep an eye on the Echo website um, thanks very much for joining us for the first podcast of, of the new year going to get them a lot more consistently from now on christmas break's been difficult lots of uh <laughs> commitments and things like that but we're, we're we're back on it and even you know even though the game's thin out this month and even though kevin Fowles is going to be a low-key one I, I can assure you for the reasons that we discussed and many more there's going to be plenty to talk oh, about and we will be here talking about it yeah. so happy new year happy new year everybody thanks for joining us and uh we'll catch up with you soon thank you the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo